You got your Bibles ready? I just wanted to share with you, you know, we just did this Responding to Trial series. I did six messages on it, and uh, I had somebody live somewhere down in the Cape. They've been watching, and they just said, I cannot tell you how that series has helped me to get through. So it's good teaching, good word that's going out, and we're grateful to God for that. But this morning, I just want to share something else that was very much on my heart, and uh, I want to just talk about redeeming the time. And um, when I sat down to prepare, I just spoke to the Lord, and I just asked the Lord, and I said to him, what word do you have from the church? And immediately spoke to me about redeeming the time. And of course, I'm aware that that phrase is in the scriptures. So I immediately went to Ephesians chapter 5, and in verse 16, Paul talks about redeeming the time. But he says it exactly in Colossians 4, and if we read verses 1 to 6, you get it in the context. So we'll have a look at it in the context now. But just, you know, a depressing thought for now, but then after that it will change. And that is it. In the old analog clock, as an example, the hands would tick past and every second would tick. And every second that tick past would become minutes, would become hours, etc., etc., etc. And that would be time past that you can never reclaim. Once it's gone, it's gone. That's the sad thing about it. It's linear. It's a progression, and every second that ticks, every hour that goes past, every day, every week, every year, you can never get back. Never get back. And so the Bible advocates that there's a lot of people that teach it that this thing called time, let's call it a commodity that we have, it's actually a gift from God, but we need to handle it wisely. We need to respond correctly to it because once it's gone, it's gone. And if we waste it, it's wasted. If we maximize it, it's maximized and it's beneficial. But I want to just take you to these scriptures because it's so powerful. So Ephesians 5.16, it says there, Paul says in Ephesians 5.16, he says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. So we are living in really unusual days. We could call it dark days. We could call it evil days. We've witnessed and experienced things in our nation that we probably never ever thought that we would. And so Paul says, in view of this and in light of this, redeem the time. But now that word redeem is an interesting word. That word redeem is exactly the same word as what Jesus did for us when he purchased us by his blood. By giving his life, he redeemed us out of darkness and became his own. We were bought back. The thing that struck me was, how do you buy back time? It's a contradiction. But Paul is more really saying, in the darkest of times, you can buy back time. So, of course, that really interested me. Because I don't know about you, everything that I have a vision for, I can't go anywhere for a lot of decades because I've got too much to do. And I've got the energy to do it, and I've got the desire to do it. So I don't want to go nowhere you know, because there's a lot of things outstanding in the vision that I have, and I need time for it. But now, how do I redeem back time? If I think back on my life, I wasted a lot of time. I was really bad with time. I'm telling you, I was bad. And then, you know, people were suggesting, and I did it, and I did time management courses, and, you know, then they, if, you, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. I did all the Time planning, you know, and da-da-da and da-da-da, and I did all of those things, managed my time. I was at Bible school with a Dutch guy who had his day planned out literally to the second. 
literally to the second. I remember once he was standing in classroom A, which was for the third year students, and he was practicing his guitar. And I walked past and I saw him and I walked in to start talking. He said, please, no, don't talk to me. I've only got X amount of minutes and then, you know, then I'm going on. And it's like, you know, and I almost felt guilty that I, you know, <laughs> I wasn't so structured, you know. And it was like, hmm. he really did make me feel guilty because he was redeeming the time. But then there was no spontaneity. You know, there was no freedom. He became enslaved to time. And so a lot of Bible teachers advocate that we must live our lives in the consciousness of a ticking clock in the light of eternity. I think that's a bondage, don't you? So anyway, so the point of the message is, how do we purchase this back? How do we redeem time? And the thing is, Paul contrasts redeeming the time to evil days. Because listen, it's very easy when things are tough, when things are going difficult, to descend into an attitude, a spirit of fear, where fear dominates us. Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced you know, extreme anxiety or extreme fear. It's extremely draining. It's extremely harmful for your health. It is so distracting, and it's almost like you cannot stop the merry-go-round in your mind of thoughts that's going on, and you can't get off. It almost takes on a life of its own and saps you of any energy and any strength to face the day and the next day and the next day. And so that becomes a fruitless exercise, worrying. Isn't that right? Faith is much more proactive. So I'm going to mention Samson. And so let's have a look very quickly. And I'm not putting down time planning. Essential. Is that okay? Necessary, whatever you want to call it. We need to be conscious of time, keep our appointments, be on time for work, etc., etc., etc. But we're almost living in a time where that sense of progress the sense of advantage that we were doing prior to COVID, where we were making headway, we were building our businesses, we were going on in our jobs. As far as our Christian lives, we were progressing in the destiny, you know, the ministries that God has called us to. And suddenly we're in a world where we're almost treading water, waiting for something to happen. And basically, we're waiting for unlock, and we're waiting for COVID to end and things like this. One of the things that I think somebody just sent me a prophecy about, probably one of the greatest prophets in the world, Dr. Bill Hammond. And he talked about how, and it's something that I've said over the last couple of years, is that the enemy has grossly underestimated the power of God and the church. Because he's locked the church down, and there are many Christians redeeming the time. And they're getting into their word, and they're praying. And even though we're praying for COVID to end, praying for governments, and you know, like what we did at the outreach and things like this, we are praying, we're investing time in the Spirit, into God, into His Word. And His prophecy was just as the pandemic has been universal, that from end of 2021 and onwards, He says the glory of God that is going to come out once the church is moving out of unlock, is the glory of God is going to be universal, Amen. like the pandemic. Amen. And we're going to see something powerful happen. Amen. So I'm encouraged by that. You know that in business they talk about time is money, time is money. But you know that time is not only money, time is blessing. You know, time is spiritual enrichment. Time is a lot of things. Everything you do, you need time for. So how do we redeem the time? How do we pay back? So let's... Let's put it back into its context. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 21, where the Apostle Paul says, See then that you walk, this is King James, See then that you walk circumspectly, 
not as fools, but as wise. The word circumspectly means basically wisely. So he says, see then that you walk wisely, not as fools, but as wise people. So in other words, he's saying, live your life right. Now, here's the thing about wisdom. I mentioned it a little time ago. The Bible speaks a lot about knowledge, speaks a lot about understanding, and it speaks a lot about wisdom. So we need knowledge. The only way we can know God, the only way we can know spiritual things is by the Bible. The Bible is Him revealing Himself to us in letter form. And so the more we read the Word, the more we sit in teachings and things like this, we're gaining knowledge of God. And then Paul tells us this in Corinthians. He said, but the important thing with knowledge, because there's a lot of people that have got knowledge, but they don't know what to do with the knowledge. So all they've got is information. But it needs to translate into something else. So Paul says, in understanding, be men. What he means, have a mature understanding of God and spiritual things. So in all you're getting, Get wisdom, get understanding, Proverbs tells us. So understanding is once you got the knowledge, it's like, oh, I understand. I'm starting to understand God. But that's only two-thirds of the equation from knowledge to understanding. The next thing is wisdom. What do I do with this knowledge and this understanding? Now, the Bible is such a practical book because Jesus told this parable. He said, the wise man. Say it after me there. The wise man. He said the wise man is the person who hears the word and does the word, basically. But the wise man built his house on the rock. When the storm came, the storm couldn't wash the house away because it was established on the rock. In other words, we need to translate our knowledge of God, once we understand it, wisdom. Wisdom is when I live out that knowledge in life. Is that okay? So that's what Paul is saying. Wise people... They live the life, and it's evident to everybody, and that's wisdom. Jesus said wisdom is proved right by her children. In other words, the manifestation of wisdom. Paul says it. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. In other words, living out your Christian life. And then he says this. He continues. He says, because the days are evil, therefore do not be unwise, But understand what the will of the Lord is. So don't be unwise. So he's repeating it. But understand what God's will is. Well, we've already found out what is God's will. Live wise lives. Okay? Then he continues and he says, And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation or debauchery. In other words, living recklessly or a bad life. He says, but be filled with the Spirit. And then he says, speaking to One translation says to one another, but it's not. But speaking to yourselves, King James, which is more accurate, speaking to yourselves, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. If it was to each other, it wouldn't say in your heart. Isn't that okay? So there's some people that teach it that we're supposed to be speaking like that to one another. No, they're wrong. We speak to ourselves. So in other words, what Paul is advising, understand what God's will is. Live the right life. Now, that right life, you don't need sermons, you don't need a prophet, you don't need, you know, you read the Bible and you live the life. But there's another dimension to that, and that other dimension is the Spirit. Now, what am I talking about when I'm talking about redeeming the time? How do I buy back time? How do I regain, let's just say, time even that I've wasted? How do I get that back? 
And then going forward, how do I live productively so I don't waste time? That's what I'm talking about, okay? So Paul tells us, days are evil, live the right life. Because the tendency, you know, and especially when he says, and do not be drunk with wine where is in excess, but be filled with the Spirit rather. Because there are some people when the pressure's on, they can turn towards drugs. It's an escape route to get away from the pressure. Some people will turn to alcohol and drown it in that. And it's a form of escapism. And then some turn towards a cookie jar. Now, a lot of Christians, because they know they can't go to the drugs and they can't go to the bottle, they'll find the cookie jar. And we'll do comfort eating. You know? And so, whatever it is, it's a cope mechanism to escape. Paul says, no, wait a minute. The days are evil. Let me give you the best coping mechanism. He says, get filled with the Spirit. You know, it's got the same kind of, it's got the same kind of effects as the bottle, but without the hangovers and the expense and, and all of that kind of, you'll get happy, you know, and all of this kind of thing. He said, but be filled with the Spirit. And keep yourself full by speaking to yourself, speaking to yourself, singing, making melody in your hearts to God. Just keep full. One of the things that you know and you've experienced, I've experienced it very often, when we live in the ether realm of the Holy Spirit, when things are tough, we can't do, drop our altitude. And we drop our altitude to this high, six foot or whatever it is, off the ground. We start living our lives at a cerebral brain level where we try and work things out. That's when we start fretting and getting anxious and um, have nervous breakdowns and all of those kinds of things. And Paul says, the days are evil, you can buy back time. So let me just talk about it. I'll mention, let me, let's first go to Colossians chapter 4. Let's just look at Colossians 4 verse 2 and then verse 5 and verse 6. So Colossians 4 2 more or less tells us the same thing. Let's have a look. Colossians 4 2. He says, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving, walking in wisdom. And he says, to those outside of the church, those who are not Christians, those who are not believers, redeeming the time. Well, this is amazing, isn't it? But here is another aspect. So I'm putting it together with Ephesians. Keep walking in the Spirit, speaking to yourselves. Maintain your prayer life with thanksgiving which is what's in the book. This, this teaching is a long teaching, but I'm compressing it for you. So you've got to do the fillings. You're clever enough. Yeah. You know the Bible well enough. You can do additional preaching. Is that okay? And he says, you know, walk correctly with those outside of the church, and you will redeem the time. So let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. So redeeming the time. So walking in the Spirit, walking correctly with those outside of the church. Now, um, I want to just ask, why does Paul say you redeem the time when you walk correctly as a Christian in the presence of those who are not Christians? So, here it is. Here it is. Proverbs 3 and uh, John 1 and John chapter 2. Here it is. Proverbs chapter 3 tells us In order to advance, in order to progress, we need God's favor. Is that okay? God's grace is is basically unearned. But God's favor is earned. And so God's favor 
comes to those who walk wisely. So let me quote you from, I think it's Luke's gospel. Is it Luke's or John's gospel? It doesn't matter. And so it says, and Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature as he was growing older and in favor with God and man. So who does the favor come to? The wise. Those who are walking in wisdom. And so it comes to the wise. So in other words, if some believer is walking and living like a fool, he doesn't have the favor of God. But Proverbs tells us we need the favor of God and the favor of man. Okay, so two men, two men. Let's use two men, the example of two men. The first one was Joseph. The second one was Daniel. And these two men gained the favor of God because they lived righteously, but then they gained the favor of men. Remember, both interpreted dreams of the top rulers of their nations. Both were promoted to second in charge of nations. Daniel in Babylon, and then the successive empires, and then Joseph in Egypt. I mean, they had the favor of man. Is that okay? So Paul says, if you want to redeem the time, you live right, and you don't only really live right as far as the believers are concerned. You live your life right, even in the presence of the world, because it will bring the favor of God and the favor of man. And if you have that favor, you will start to buy back time. Is that okay? You will redeem the time. So let's just move on now. I know for a fact that it's an extreme waste of time sinning. There's nothing that robs your time like not living the right life. I mean, what a waste of time it is to walk around in unforgiveness with resentment in your heart. Well, how about this one? When, with offenses in your heart. And this person hurt my feelings. What a waste of time. Because they don't even care that you're offended with them. Is that all right? And you're sitting there. And you're carrying on like this. And you got the offense. And you're carrying it. I mean, you lose momentum, you lose spiritual energy, you lose physical energy, you lose mental energy. I mean, it's a waste of time. But the thing is, that's what repentance is all about, isn't that? You know, the amazing thing, when we go to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm so sorry, please forgive me. And he goes, okay, that's what you're forgiven. And he takes us and he puts us right over here. And it's like, hey, we caught up. What happened to that time? Now, when I was a kid, you know, growing up in olden days, in those old-timey church, we, we used to sing old-timey songs, you know? And then we used to sing one song, and the dear old ladies would stand in their tissues. Wasted years, wasted years, oh, how foolish. And then you sing it again, then say, turn around, turn around. And everybody, oh. Now, these were Christians. And what they were lamenting was the wasted years before they became Christians. And oh, how foolish. And it's like, how are we going to redeem that time? You know, one of the things that, you know, I've been doing this for a long time. You know, one of the things I've discovered about God, when we turn to Him, He has a way of making up time. He has a way of redeeming lost time, wasted years, because He suddenly gives you a purpose and a destiny. And it's like you're making up things, you know, and there's an impact. Is that okay? Is it making sense? And it's like I've become effective supernaturally far above any time management and planning that I could do. And I'm not belittling that. We need to have that. But God gives me effectiveness way above. That's why he says, I will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. He's redeeming time for you. Amen. 
And so, you know, if we walk right, live right. So one is living righteously according to the word. What's the second one? The other one is to live in the spirit, by the spirit, led by the spirit, sensitive to the spirit's voice. Is that okay? We need to live like that. The other morning, there was a pastor. He's got a mega church, 8,000 members. And, you know, of course, COVID has seriously affected the big churches. It's affected the smaller churches too, but they're more. I just woke up and he was so much on my heart. Now, I've learned over the years, if I wake up thinking about somebody, I start praying for them immediately. Immediately. And every single time, it's on the money. Every single time, it's on the button. It wasn't that long ago. It happened a Monday night, a Tuesday night, a Wednesday night, a Thursday night. Wake up in the middle of the night. This person's in my heart. Start praying for them. I mean, the one night God spoke to me and he said, this person can't pay their car installments. I phoned. Hey, brother, how's it going? Yeah, no, it's good. It's... I said, how's it going? He said, yeah, it's a little bit tough. And uh, I said, yeah, you know, now we're struggling. And then he mentioned... He's behind on his car payments. I said, no, well, that's what God told me. He said, give me your account. I'll put in your arrears. And I put it into his account. Next night, another one. Next night, another one. Sure. How many of you know I'm redeeming time? How many of you know I'm living effectively? Amen. So this pastor's on my heart. and He's an 8,000-member church. He's someone, and I, I'm praying for him. So I just decide, I'm not going to bug him. You know, he's busy. You know, with 8,000 members, that's 8,000 problems. <laughs> He's got a few more than me, you know. So I just sent him this voice note. I said, hey, brother, I just woke up with you on my heart. I'm praying for you today. And I said, I'm praying God's wisdom for you. I said, I'm praying God's provision because I know, you know, you have big needs. I'm praying, and I listed the things that I was praying for him. And, you know, it was just normal. It was like in part of my thinking process, you know. And I sent it off on WhatsApp. So I got in the car to come to the office. I mean, I sent it when I was in the lounge. Got in the car, plugged in my phone, started up, you know, and it comes up on the, this, on the car play on the screen. And uh, the phones ring, and it's this brother, this pastor. And he said, hey, brother. I said, I want to tell you. He said, you encouraged me incredibly this morning. He said, you know, people come, pastors come from everywhere. They look at us, we're a big church. And, and it's, please help me with this, and we need money, and we need food, and we need, and we need, and people are sick, and people, and they're phoning me. My phone's going all day. He said, you don't know what you did for me this morning. He said, so I said to God, all these people have got me to come to. Where do I go? He says, then I get your message. <laughs> he said, because I said to God, he said, I've got needs. I need finance. I need wisdom to deal with this. And he said, everything I said to the Lord, you know, I need these. You send me the message and says, God says, you know, I'm praying for you for wisdom. He says, I'm just so happy I was on somebody's mind this morning. <laughs> so he says, when can we have coffee? So next, not next week or the week after we're getting to, I said, let's have lunch. Let's just talk. He said, thank you, prophet. <laughs> so we redeem time walking by the Spirit. And uh, you'll be more effective walking by the Spirit. Is that okay? Everything that we did in this church that has been successful was when God spoke to me. When we ran the soup kitchen for years, I was running around Benera Park, and I ran past where the clinic is, and it just used to be the substation there. And I ran past, and all the street people were laying there, you know, the ones that drink meths and all of that kind of thing. 
and uh, you know, they don't bath, they don't change, they don't do nothing. And you would run past them, and it'd be like, yeah. I mean, you could smell that meth's breath, you know, <laughs> even though they were under the cardboard and things like this. And one morning I was running, and I ran past, and I, I looked at them, and I said, yeah, Lord, isn't this terrible? This is disgusting. You need to do something about it. And then the Lord just said to me, I must do something about it. So I didn't say another word because I knew what he was implying. And I went home. I shouted a change. I came back to the church. I came walked here in the church. And I was saying, okay, Lord, so we need to talk about this. <laughs> so what are you saying? I must do something about it. And he was quiet because the answer is obvious. He didn't answer. So we started a soup kitchen Tuesdays and Thursdays. It was successful. We were feeding a few hundred people. Greatest miracles, greatest everything ever seen was at the soup kitchen. And then we started the carols by candlelight in the shopping center. Pick and pay, pay. The sound system sponsored all the mince pies, all the tea and coffee, posters sponsored. We'd get 400 people out there on a night. And uh, that was my December congregation from all the other churches in the area. And we shepherded those people for years doing it. It was successful. Television ministry, 24-7 television, reaching 2 million people a month. All when God spoke to me. You can redeem time hearing God, walking in the Spirit. But here's the trick. Because the days are evil, Paul says, we need to maintain ourselves in the Spirit. Am I making sense? And so it becomes extremely, extremely necessary. A lot of people talk about it, you know, those that teach pastors and that, and they talk about the thing is that what you've got to do every day is do what is significant, you know, what is the most important thing towards your destiny. You know, and they say things like, don't be involved with good things because good is often the thief of the best. Well, I'm talking about how to buy back time, how to redeem time, and I'm taking it from two passages in the Bible. And so how do you redeem time? So one of the things that I just look at the life of Jesus, he appears on the pages of the New Testament when he's born. Mentioned again, age 12, disappears. For the next 18 years, no mention of Jesus. Whole life, nothing. Suddenly, age 30, here he appears at his baptism. So to all intents and purposes, basically, the majority of what we read in the Gospels is the three and a half years of his ministry. In three and a half years of ministry, he gathered 12 men. They all ran away when he died. And as far as time planning is concerned, he was a failure. And time management. I mean, he completely wasted his time, didn't he? And I mean, and one of them was a devil who betrayed him. And the other one had a big mouth and it was always putting his foot in it, you know? But even John the Beloved, the Bible tells us he ran away, even left his clothes, but someone grabbed his clothes and he just left his clothes and even ran. He said, I was wounded in the house of my friends. I mean, at that moment, you know, what do you make of time management? What do you make of extensive planning and all this kind of thing? And I mean, Jesus was focused. Yay. But hey, listen, if Jesus only did what was significant, why was he wasting his time with a Samaritan woman at a well yeah, exactly. for a whole day? Yeah. Well, because he was led by the Spirit. Yeah. You know, if he had one of those, you know, those guys, somebody tried to do it with Prophet Kerbis once and said, no, I'll help you to manage the ministry. And after the second day, Prophet Kerbis fired him. Because he was walking around saying, what are you doing now? This is not part, you know, because he, he had blocked out Prophet Kerbis's time for the day. He said, hey, no, I can't do this. Cheers, bye. He has your severance package. Off you go. Because he was trying to manage him and help him. Prophet Kerbis moved by the Spirit. Yeah. Yeah. 
So we do our work. We're faithful with our work. But we operate by the Spirit, and it makes us effective. And you redeem time. So Jesus, so he talks to this woman, which was kind of like, you know, not the socially acceptable norm. But the next thing, an entire Samaritan village comes out at the end of the day. And they're all saved. But what about an example we don't hear the outcome? He's with crowds, and they're all around him. Okay, time management person, this is significance. Yes, Jesus, do this. Then he walks past a sycamore tree, and he looks up, and he finds a little short man by the name of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, what are you doing up there? Because he wanted to see you, but I'm too short. (laughs) So he climbs a tree. And Jesus has come down, because today, you know, in the words of the Sunday school song, I'm going to your house for tea. Jesus goes to his house. He left the crowd, went home with one. What's that all about? You know, in God's economy, in God's timetable, that's redeeming time. Now, we don't read in the page of the Bible. I don't know if there's any historical record, any Jewish tradition around it. But what effectiveness did that lead to? But come on, here it goes. More than 2,000 years later, the biggest religion on the planet, Christianity, and growing. From one person who lived righteous and walked by the Spirit, and he redeemed time. Is that okay? So church, the message to us this morning, it's not, let's not descend into the, this realm. Let's stay in the realm of the Spirit, understanding the mind of God. He will make you extremely effective. And um, if you ever want to hear a great testimony, speak to Andre and speak to Marius, how they listen to God in their workplaces and how they're called out to substations and things like that. No other electrician can solve and they're very clever, but they're not always as clever as the Holy Spirit. You know, yeah. they're very clever. But they will get there, and sometimes, and they've told me stories, on the way, the Holy Spirit will speak to them and tell them where the problem is and what it is. And they walk in, and they sort, yes, the problem, and they sort it out. How many of you know they've just bought back time? Yeah. Other engineers have been there hours and hours and hours. Yeah. Now, God can do that for your whole life. Isn't that right? And I find the more I walk in the Spirit, the more I'm prayerful, I find that this happens to me more and more and more. And I find that it happens without me even trying. God redeems time for us, and He gives us everything we want to need. Now, I've told you this story before, but it's worth just reminding about how it comes. It's an example. Just about everything I've, I've wanted or desired, I have because I'm walking the Lord. I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm just the same as you. I'm a work in progress. Do you understand what I'm saying? Many years ago when I was at Bible college, I got interested in looking at my family history and our heraldry. And um, I started a little bit in England. I gave up. I came to South Africa. I started researching. It was too complicated. I gave it up. But I really wanted to know about my family's background and a lot of the history. And then all I did one day, there was a man who lived just down the road, and he developed a disease called Berger's disease. And it happens to a few, a, a small percentage of people who smoke. And what happens, all the small, the medium to small capillaries actually atrophy and die, and they lose blood circulation to the extremities. And so 
you know, we met him, a Portuguese guy. And the family phoned me to go and pray for him. And the long and the short of it, he accepted Jesus. And um, so, you know, first of all, they have to cut off the fingers, then they cut off the hand, then they cut off the arm, then they cut off the arm. And then it starts with the legs until he had no limbs left because of Berger's disease. So in the early stages, when he still had two or three fingers on the one hand, I did a thing, and um, the Kempton Express came around to raise funds so that we could buy him a computer those days, that he could work with it and use the stick and those few fingers. And we managed to raise the funds, and we got him a computer. But of course, so my name appears in the Kempton Express, but they printed my name wrong. They printed my name as Johan instead of John, which is, you know, the Afrikaans version of John. Pastor, it's Pastor Johan Wasserman. And the day that the, it's a Thursday, the day that the Kempton Express comes out, I get a phone call. Are you Pastor Johan Georg Wasserman, John George Wasserman? So I said, yes, I am. I need to come see you. He comes to see me. His wife, her maiden name was Wasserman, and he's done an entire study of the Wasserman name back to the 1300s. So he comes to see me, and he's been in touch with the last surviving Wasserman in Germany, and uh, says, I've met somebody in your ancestral line, you the last predecessor. They were in contact, letters were in German, photograph of him, and in this particular town, they've got all the baptismal records of the Wasserman that left Germany and came to South Africa in the year 1700. Mm. Everything, everything. Heraldic numbers right down to my children. Puts it all on disc, everything gives it to me. Says, this is a present for you. And I go, Jesus. I didn't waste one minute. It was a desire. So Paul says, the days are evil. Don't descend. The days are evil. Don't go into escapism. Drive yourself, place yourself in prayer, and be filled with the Spirit. And you'll see how I buy back time. So, closing example, then we finished. And uh, the closing example is this. There was a man (laughs) by the name of Samson. And you know the story. Um, Angel appears, tells his parents, Nazaritic vow, don't drink alcohol, don't touch a dead animal, don't cut your hair. It's a sign of his separation to God. And he is raised up as a savior, a judge to deliver Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Good? You know the story. But you know also how he skirted always. He always skirted, just came close to sin, you know? And then the one day he kills the lion, and he goes down to the land of the Philistines. And uh, the next time he comes past, he finds the lion dead, but honey inside, so he takes the honey and eats it. Well, what's he just done? He's touched the dead body. And the Bible says, then he goes through the vineyards. Well, he was supposed to avoid vineyards because what do you get from? Yes, so you're supposed to avoid it. Then he goes to the land of the Philistines, and then he marries a Philistine, you know, you know, Samson and delicious. I mean, delightful. (laughs) And uh, so... And you know the whole story. So compromise after compromise cuts his hair. But before then, when he lived the vow of the Nazarite, lived righteously, he had great effect. You know the story, how at the end of his life, he's brought out blind, but his hair's grown back, brought into the temple of their God. It's crowded and packed. And he said, God, today give me revenge. And he puts his hands on the pillars and pushes it down. And in his last moment, he takes out more Philistines than in his entire life. Did he not redeem time? 
Now, I am convinced, and not that you're going to die, I'm convinced we're coming at a time where God will redeem that which, through our perceptions, we have lost during these few years. God will make up the time. Is that okay? And, you know, I'm working with a brother in the Lord, a businessman. We've known each other for 35 years. We've walked through and prayed and whatever, and um, something awesome is about to happen for him. And uh, we were just fellowshipping about it a while. He's just been asking me to pray, pray, pray. So we've just been doing a lot of prayers. The other day, I joked with him. He, he messaged me and he said, pray now. There's a meeting going on. So I prayed. Now, I know those kind of meetings are only half an hour, an hour. So I was in the church praying and praying and praying and praying. So then I finished praying. I thought, okay, the meeting's over. I left. But about three hours later, jokingly, I sent him a WhatsApp. And I said, can I stop praying now? <laughs> he sends me all these laughing faces. So, um, but he said... He said, this is my Samson moment. This is my Samson moment. Through, after 35 years, loss of business after loss of business after loss of business. Setback after setback after setback. Now, he says, this is my Samson moment. God has brought me here. He will be able to do more now than probably in all of his life. Are you all with me, church? Are you all listening to me? This is a word from God. And I just somehow feel, Mike, that you're here today by the design and the purpose of God and Leanne. I really feel that everything that you lost, opportunities that you lost, I'm going to just put it in terminology, promotions that you missed, God is going to make up to you in the very near future. And God is going to bless you. Because your heart, both of your hearts, are your hearts are after God and you're searching for God. And God is going to bring you through. You will see how God will make up those things that apparently were lost and God will make them up to you. One of the things that you were careful to do was that you were careful to keep your heart right and not to become you know, filled with animosity and things like this. Yes, there was disappointments and things like that, but you didn't become full of animosity. So you watch how God will make it up for you. God's design is to bless you. Because when I look at you, it's almost, I see that kind of thing. I don't know what you do. We just met Friday night. But something, it's, it's something business-like, you know, where God is going to bless you guys financially and things like that. And I just want to say this. God doesn't only give you your needs. God doesn't only give you your needs. He gives you your wants and your desires. And I feel like God is saying, I'm going to give you, desires is the highest. I'm going to give you the desires of your heart. Okay. Come on, church, were you encouraged this morning? We're not living under the tyranny of a ticking clock. And gosh, I'm getting older. And have I done everything for God that I'm supposed to do? Oh, my goodness me. No, we don't live in that tyranny. Your most effective years are now. I mean, Harvey and Almarie, you've been a lifetime in preparation, a lifetime. The wisdom that you have now, the maturity that you have now. You mean you can do more now than you could ever before. You can impart wisdom, you know. So God is redeeming time for us. Come on, you know, any setback, anything that you felt like, geez, we missed it and, and whatever. No, no, man, God's redeeming time for us. That was a good word. That was a prophetic word. Thank you, Jesus.
I just speak blessing over your life. May the God who is sovereign, may the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's in control, who's near to you, who's Emmanuel, <clears throat> may His love, His grace, and His mercy be your portion. May He keep you, protect you. May He redeem every area, everything that you have lost that was stolen from you. That you lost by maybe even your own lack of wisdom. God, restore the years the locusts have eaten. God, give you a sound mind, a sober spirit. Give you love, power, and that sound mind instead of a spirit of anxiety and fear in the name of Jesus. And redeem the time for you. Bring you to your destiny. May we all experience Samson moments from now on in the name of Jesus Christ. So saints, be blessed. Bless you. Bless you. Bless you. Bless you.